So today we're actually going to be talking about true deliverance, true deliverance. And uh, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 2, uh, Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12 today. Uh, oftentimes you, we, we pray for God to deliver us from a situation or a circumstance, and uh, uh, we, we, we want the Lord to take us out of whatever it is. And we, we think oftentimes of deliverance being almost like the children of Israel who were trapped in Egypt and were slaves, and God actually delivered them out, got them totally out of Egypt, and uh, delivered them into a brand new place, a brand new promised land. Uh, and so sometimes we wonder, Lord, how come you haven't delivered me out of this situation? Or how come you haven't delivered me out of this mess? How come you haven't uh, removed me? And uh, so we're going to talk about what true deliverance actually looks like today. Uh, at the top of the year, we talked about restoration, that God was wanting to restore us. And and uh, I've been encouraged about some of the uh, stories that I've heard, how God has began uh, restoring some things within families and uh, within relationships and even uh, patching up old lines of communication that had been torn down for years and years, and God began to restore some things uh, for some people. And so uh, I said it the other week, one, one of these days we may have to do a, a testimony service or whatnot. But uh, today we're going we're gonna to tie in a little bit with that. Uh, when you get restored, sometimes you want to be delivered from some things. So what, what does true deliverance look like? Uh, we're we're going to get into that real quick. So uh, Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 1, uh, we're going to be reading about uh, an, uh, a, an incident that happened in the middle of one of Jesus' sermons, and a really cool thing happened because uh, he was, what was delivered to Jesus was his very own Ryan Rodriguez uh, illustrated sermon opportunity, right, that was presented to him, and, and Jesus took advantage of that moment and use it as not only a tool of deliverance for the guy, but also as an incredible teaching and revelatory moment for those who were in there uh, working with him. So, so Ryan and I actually actually had a, a uh, an idea today that we were going to lower him through the roof, and and with a big old hole and just lower him down in a bed. And since Ryan is now my my subject of all my my uh, illustrated sermons, but Howard wouldn't let us because he said the insurance wouldn't cover it or something like that. I don't know. You know how those builders are; they kind of put the kibbutz on all of our fun. So, uh, so anyways, you'll just have to use your imagination today. And Ryan uh, gets to breathe a little easier since he's not going to be suspended from the roof. So, starting with verse one, and again, Jesus entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Let's stop there for a moment. Mark does a really good job in his gospel of keeping the action flowing, but because of that, he doesn't really give us a lot of details as to what Jesus preached. Mark was very much about, hey, let's, let's just talk about what the, the action and, and, and skip to the, uh, to the fun, adventurous stuff. He, he would have been a great uh, uh, action movie uh, screenwriter. Yeah, just because because there there wasn't a lot of deep depth, but there was an incredible uh, uh, incredible accounts of all the things that Jesus did. But he is still highlighting that Jesus had a preaching ministry. Matter of fact, in verse uh, chapter one, Jesus had actually uh, cast out a demon from a guy and had been healing people, and so the crowds began to get really big out on the streets. Matter of fact, the streets had turned into big giant healing services. Well, Jesus didn't come just to heal the sick and to set 
captives free, but he also came to preach the gospel or preach the word, the good news of the coming of the kingdom of Christ or the coming of the kingdom of God. So Mark is at least saying, hey, he was we, he moved indoors so that he could actually get some time to preach. But it was so crowded that even the back door, all the way to the back door, they couldn't fit any more people in this house, right? Verse 3, then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. See, Ryan, you got out good today, man. I didn't make you be my, my paralyzed guy, so. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. Where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So they couldn't get the guy in. They were carrying him. Four of his buddies carried this man to Jesus. Man, what kind of awesome friends is that? If I ever find myself in a place where I need to get to Jesus and I can't help myself and I can't get out of whatever quandary I'm in, I hope I surround myself with people that are so full of faith that they'll carry me to Christ, that they'll do whatever they have to to get me to the foot of Jesus. They'll tear up whatever they got to tear up just to get me there. Are we that kind of friend? Or are we going to sit there and climb in bed with a guy and wallow around with him and, and, and feel horrible for him? You know, oh, I know you're so paralyzed and I feel horrible for you. You know, my foot hadn't been feeling good either. You know, you ever, you ever been around people like that? You know, you, you, you start talking about the condition that you're struggling with and rather than like helping you and carrying you to the foot of the cross, they're going to sit there and like join in with you. You know, oh, man, my knees have been hurting myself, man. I don't feel like walking. Just scoot over, lay, scoot over. That way I can lay in this bed with you. No, these four guys actually hoisted the guy up, took him on his bed to see Jesus, couldn't get in the door, so they found a way to get up on the roof, and they wind up tearing a big old hole in the roof, whether it was tile or thatched or whatever. All I know is it says that when they finally broke through, they began to lower him down. Now, that's some faith. Because they had every intention of, we're going to lower you down, but you're walking out of here. Because it's a lot easier to lower. We can use gravity to get you down, but it's going to be a whole lot harder to get you back up here. So you better get healed, <laughs> you know. That's some incredible faith. We're going to lower you down because you're walking out. We're not going to mess with this bed on the way out. So, matter of fact, it was so much faith. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he just... He just didn't hear about it, but he actually saw their faith. What kind of faith do we have? Do we have, the Bible says faith without works is dead. So we can say we have faith all day long, but if we don't put any works to it, if we don't put any action to our faith, it's, it's, it's really null and void. These guys actually put so much action that Jesus took note. Well, that's some faith. Look at what's coming down here. So Jesus saw their faith, so he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, could you imagine what these four guys thought from the roof while they're looking in? They're, no, don't worry about his sins. We need him to walk because we can't get him back up out of this hole. But that's the thing about Jesus. When you go to Jesus with a need, he's going to deal with the first thing, the, the, the major thing, and that's he's going he's gonna to deal with any sin problem you may have. He's going to make sure he gets your heart right with him. Because if he can get your heart and your mind right, everything else is going to fall into place. But Jesus is also doing something else. The Bible said he had, he had been teaching these people, and we find out that there were scribes sitting there and folks that were, that were uh, coming from rabbinical schools. And so there were very religious Jewish people that were sitting here that he had been teaching that came to hear him. 
Now, we don't, know, we don't know for sure exactly what he had been preaching, but we get a bit of an idea of what he had been preaching by what he starts doing here. He's actually playing a little bit of a chess game with them. And so there's a reason why he didn't, he saw this, man, there were times, plenty of times that he would see someone that was lame and he would heal them or someone that was blind and he would give them sight or someone who was demon possessed and he would set them free. But this time, rather than just coming out and saying, hey man, get up, you're healed. He looks at the man and he forgives his sins. And he did it, like I said, he's playing a little bit of a chess match and he's setting them up. He's about to spring the trap. Verse 6, and some of the scribes were sitting sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So he already realized what they were thinking in their hearts. They're sitting around thinking, your sins are forgiven. What? Who? He's acting like he's God. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus knows this. Verse 8, he says, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they, that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. Now, here's the checkmate in his chess match. Because he already knew what they were thinking. How can he forgive their sins? Only God can forgive sins. Now, if if you were part of a rabbinical school back then, you, one, of, one of the basic philosophy that you would have been taught is this. Uh, the rabbis had a, had a very popular saying. It was, a, a sick man cannot be healed of a sickness until his sins are forgiven. And Jesus was well aware of this custom, well aware of this train of thought and this philosophy. So probably what he was teaching, he was probably going through their own laws and their own customs to set him up to try to reveal to him that who he was. Hey, psst, I'm God. You know, he's trying to, trying to present the fact that he's the Messiah, but he's wanting to use their own written text and their own ideas and their own philosophies. So he asks them this question. He's not reprimanding them. Matter of fact, they're supposed to be questioning him. That's what they were trained to do, is to question everything, to examine everything. Is this of God or is this not of God? And so when they sit there and they're shocked and they said, what, why is he saying this? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew it. And he goes, hey, let me ask you this. What's going to be easier for me to say? That your sins are forgiven? Or take up your bed and walk. You're healed. Well, here's the problem. If they answered, well, the first question is easier or the second question is easier. Either way, they're having to admit that he's God. Because only God can forgive sins. And only God can actually heal a paralyzed man. And so, so he's setting them up. Not only that, he's fully aware of their philosophy that a sick man can't be healed of a sickness until his sins are forgiven. So he goes on to say, all right, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. That's the whole reason why he forgave his sins in the first place, is to show, hey, psst, I'm God. And yes, he is going to get healed. He, his sickness is going to be healed because his sins are forgiven. And so he's using their own philosophies, basically, to reveal to them, hey, guess who I am? Now, he doesn't come out and call himself the Christ. He doesn't come out and call himself uh, the Messiah. 
both of those terms were very politically charged because to the audience that he was interacting with on a daily basis, they believed that the Messiah and the Christ would come back to rid themselves, to, to drive off the Romans, to set them free from, their Roman, from Roman captivity. Uh, so Jesus called himself son of man, which actually he pulled straight from the book of Daniel. Uh, with Daniel's prophecy about the returning of Christ, that he would come and he would judge the world and he would rule over the world and he would be called the son of man. So that's, that's a little less politically charged title that Jesus would give himself to hint to folks, oh yeah, by the way, I am the Christ. So he says, hey, so that you, so that you can understand that I do have the authority to forgive sins, I've already forgiven his sins, now guess what? Bam, he's healed. Take up your bed, go on home. And it says, immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, so all of them, that means all the scribes, all the rabbis, everybody that showed up to church that day, sat there and said, we've never seen anything like this. This is crazy. This is amazing. So it's a very cool way that Jesus uh, was able to reveal who he was to these guys. Now, what does that have to do with the deliverance? All right. So let's go back to the scripture. This, this is my thought on deliverance and what I want, I want everyone to kind of be able to take away today. When, when you're praying for deliverance, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What can you expect sometimes? There are going to be times that yeah, God whisks you away from whatever it is that you're praying about. And, 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 and you're in this whole brand new place, whole brand new zone, whatever. But for my life, oftentimes what, I've, what took a long time for me to understand is the same principle that this man, the paralytic, went through. He was carried in by his friends on his bed. Who knows how long he had been paralyzed, perhaps all of his life, perhaps most of his life. Maybe it was a childhood accident. Whatever it was, he had, sent, he had spent substantial time paralyzed laying in this bed. And while he watched the rest of the world go about their business, there he lay in his bed, day in, day out, night after night, day after day. And there was a, I'm sure there was a time that he thought, if I could ever get up and get out of this bed, I would burn this thing. I am so sick of this bed. This bed has identified me. I'm a second-class citizen in my culture because of this bed, because I cannot get up and get out of this bed. And as they're carrying him to Jesus, perhaps hope started rising up in his heart, thinking, man, if Jesus can get me to walk, if he'll, if he'll heal me and I can get up and walk, man, I am leaving this bed behind. I will never, never, never lay eyes on this bed one more time. So he's lowered down. Jesus forgives his sins. And then Jesus says, hey, get up, walk, take your bed and go home. Take my bed and go home. Wait, 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 wait. Thank you. I, I want to praise you because I can walk. But trust me, the last thing I want to do is take this bed up. The, do you realize that's the one thing I don't want to identify with anymore in my life? That's the one thing I want to get rid of in my life. That's, that's how we feel sometimes. Lord, I've been praying for you. Look, I know you've healed my heart. I know you've, you've restored me, but I'm still having to deal with some of the stuff that I've been praying for you to get rid of in my life. Whatever circumstance, whatever individual, whatever situation, whatever environment you're in, that you just, Lord, can you deliver me from this? Thank you for my healing, but man, do I have to take this bed and go? But here's the difference. He was carried in the bed when he got there. The bed had him. But when he left, he still had the bed. 
but the bed no longer had him. All of a sudden, the bed no longer had power over him. The bed no longer uh, had the power to identify who he was. He may still have had to deal with that bed all the way home, but it had no power over him anymore. That's true deliverance. True deliverance is when you understand he that the son is set free is free indeed. If you want to put that in modern terms, if, if the son has set you free, you are really, 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 really free. You are as free as free can get. And if you are free, then what, what on this planet can actually have power over you? To determine how you're going to respond, determine how you're going to react, determine how you feel. True deliverance is when you realize that Christ has set you so free that you can still be in the midst of the environment that you don't like. You can still be in the middle of the issue that has been a thorn in your flesh. You can still have to deal with the person that has just, just caused so much grief in your life, yet you realize you are so free that they no longer have power over you to dictate how you feel, how you're going to think, what mood you're going to be in, what kind of day you're going to have. That's freedom. The Bible says that he prepares a table before our enemies, right in the middle of this whole situation that you just wish that you could disappear from. You have the ability to sit down and feast on the things of God right before your enemies. That's deliverance. That's power. There are some things in my life I would love for them to disappear. Some environments, some situations that, that I, would, I would love for God just to, just to, you know, pull me out of Egypt, put me in the promised land where I never have to see the Egyptians again, you know. Yet the Lord has chosen for whatever his grand purpose is to keep me right where I'm at in that situation. But what he's taught me is it doesn't have power over you. I don't have to let it dictate a thing about my life because I can still be free in him. I can still praise him whenever I want to. I can still receive from him whenever I need to. I can still love on folks however, I, however he sees fit and however I need to. That's true deliverance. Let's all stand. As the musicians come back, let's, let's begin to pray. Father, I, I just pray today if there's anyone who's been stuck in a situation that they've been waiting for you to deliver them, to set them free. Father, let them see that you've already set them free, that the jail cell has already been open all this time, that they're not held captive by anything terrestrial on this earth. The only thing they're held captive by is your unconditional love, that they can be free. The bed no longer has to have them. They may have to deal with the bed. They may still have to deal with the situation the environment, the individual, whatever it may be. But it, no, it doesn't have to have them. They're free to walk and head home. We thank you, Father. We praise you. We're going to sing one more song together as a, as a family. Uh, afterwards, if you need prayer for anything, please come, come hunt me down or grab somebody. It doesn't have to be me. It can be anybody. But grab someone. Let's pray together before you leave today. If you need encouragement, if you've never given your life to Jesus, 
and the, and the Holy Spirit has started tugging on you, come talk to me. Come talk to me today. I would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. We've got some great things that the Lord has in store for us as a family, as a community, as a gathering. I want to be a part of it. Amen? I want to be a part of whatever he has. I'm excited about I'm, I'm excited to see Maddie up here today, 15 years old, up here praising the Lord. Let it be a precursor for all of our, our teenagers, all of our youth to just get involved with in, in any way with their talent. Christine did a beautiful job today. Thank you so much for just ushering us into the presence of the Lord. <laughs> I sat there, I sat there while they were singing, and I, I the Lord and I were having a little discussion over here. I, and I said, Lord, I said, We've got some talented people in our community. And he said, you don't even know the half of it, Dave. He said, I've put some incredible people here, and I'm going to tap them. And they're going to rise up, and they're going to praise me for my glory with all of their talents, all of their, whether it's musical, whether it's artistic, whether it's just talents of connecting with people. Whatever their talents are, God is raising people up within his kingdom. I want to be a part of it. And the last thing we have to worry about is whether or not we need to be delivered from, from a bunch of knuckleheaded situations. God's already set you free from it. You may have to deal with it, but it ain't going to have you. Let's all praise him together today.